Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Westcliff Climb. Pastor Joshua Duffy, that is here with you. Such a privilege and an honor. If you didn't know that you're checking out Westcliff right now, live and in person, hence the giant logo off of my shoulder. Uh, it's good to be with you guys today. Of course, there's a lot of things going on in the world, a lot of things to talk about. Um, I wanted to uh, get right to the point in terms of our, our content. There's a lot of things that are um, uh, being thrown at you all as uh, whether you're a college student, you're a young 20 something out in the work world. Um, you are, uh, you know, a, a young family trying to get things going and, you know, you're in the minivan phase of life and you're trying to figure out how to raise kids and change diapers and all of that. Or now your kids are, are teenagers and, uh, uh, it, you know, it's a funny thing, like they they wake up early when they're just little tiny humans and then they sleep later and later and later, the older that they get kind of fascinating. Anyway, they, uh, they grow opinions and they become harder and harder to deal with. How about that? Uh, then there's the brief period where you as a parent, you know, absolutely nothing. Okay. Uh, it's as though you never lived life until, uh, just like age 40, right? They don't even know. And if, and if, and if any of your kids were like me, it was my freshman year in college. I was having girl problems. That's right. And it was the first conversation I ever had with my mother in my life where I remember we were talking like two adults. It was the strangest, coolest conversation. And I remember, and I hung up and I was like, huh, she's brilliant. <laughs> Oh, man, what a cool moment, cool phase, I'm sure, for a parent as well. Or maybe now you've married off your kids, your empty nesters. You're looking at your spouse going, who are you again? Uh, why did we get married? Um, or maybe you're further along than that. Now you're a grandparent. You are, are looking at uh, well beyond the roots that you ever put down and the fruit of your labor and um, a beautiful legacy, perhaps, that you've written. Whatever it is, culture is throwing a lot at us. And, uh, you know, I, I think we make Satan out to be in one of two camps in, in our country in Western context. Uh, we make him out to be either just this little cartoon character that sits on your shoulder and uh, he just tries to get you to do some bad things. And you just got to ignore him and look at the little angel, of course, that's that's on the other shoulder. And then you're fine. And another way, in other words, it's just sort of like this simplistic thing Little guy, kind of harmless, kind of nefarious, uh, but but otherwise, you know, everything kind of is on you um, to navigate it. No big deal. Um, or we go to the other extreme in Western culture, civilization, which is uh, he is the most terrifying, undefeated. Uh, there's no hope whatsoever in taking him on. And you have every reason to be terrified and afraid. Um, and the fact of the matter is. Um, kind of all of that and what's in between are all kind of true. What gets missed, though, is the incredible brilliance of Satan, demonic forces, uh, how sharp and smart the intelligence, the cunning, the strategy um, is phenomenal. It's, it's, it's 3D chess, man. Luckily, God plays 4D chess, but it's it's no joke. And oftentimes, 
when we look in our culture, because we, we don't necessarily always look at our culture through a, a, our, our faith, through the lens of our faith or through a, a biblical worldview. Um, we don't right away tend to connect that what we're seeing is demonic or evil or deception. Um, we, we first try to take on the challenges of our world with logic and reason and, uh, you know, kind of rational thought. And then we're surprised. We, we tend to be surprised when our logic and our reason don't seem to have any effect. Truth, stats, figures don't seem to have any effect on the bizarre things that we see happening or the things that we see breaking down. And what we start missing is that we are actually looking at the calling card of what's demonic and evil and satanic in nature is um, the goal is just to burn it down for the sake of burning it down. And when you start running into scenarios where you're like, wow, I'm, I'm telling the truth. I'm looking at this truthfully. I'm, logically this lines up but why doesn't it seem to matter well that's because what you're dealing with is illogical and what at that point you got to be able to go okay what i'm dealing with is actually evil and it it doesn't bow to logic or certainly doesn't bow to truth because jesus is that and it didn't do that in heaven certainly not going to do it now and so it's all about just burning everything down so um recognizing that for what it is when you see it is critical key and primary all right um, and so the video I put out is a is is really just about a very interesting sleight of hand that happens in culture regularly. Um, and so and so here's what it is. L- let me just tell you what's so great about God's word. Um, he defines a lot of things. I don't know if you knew that, but like, you know, we think you know marriage is defined. You bet it is. It's it's defined early on in God's word. That's why there's such a push to undermine the, you know, Genesis and the whole Genesis account. Okay. Uh, that's probably why there's like a push. I'm sure to find life elsewhere. Some of us, we just want to know if there's life elsewhere, but, but there would be a great desire to go see what everything Genesis had to say is crazy and nuts. You know, the, the battleground, believe it or not, as a follower of Jesus, yes, it's the gospels, the ministry of Jesus, of course, but if you can cut away at Genesis, stuff like it, that's in Genesis, definition of marriage, creation of the world, What's God's will, intent, and design? See, if you can undermine it right out of the gate, you can start to chip away at the whole narrative, everything that Jesus' ministry, um, the history that he would be standing upon when he entered into human history. Um, but what's cool is that love is defined. Okay, it's defined. It doesn't actually matter. I mean, you can define it however you want. It just doesn't matter. You're just a human being. I'm just a human being. But God's word actually defines love. So check, check this out, all right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love, it, it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And Paul would go on to say, but the greatest of these, of all these things that you know, that he could see that he's witnessed and that he knows as a follower of Jesus are all great. But the greatest of these is love, but he defines love. You just heard it, right? Do you, do you see anywhere in that list? Like love is a tingly little feeling in my stomach. <laughs> love is a dramatic moment where two people kiss in the rain and declare their love. Love is standing outside 
somebody's bedroom window with a boombox declaring your love from the mountaintops, right? Is that is that what love is? Is love just when when two people just love each other, right? When two people love each other, right? When two love each other. That's the cultural, right? When, right? Now we're trying to redefine when. What do I mean by that? Age. Okay. More and more, we're, we are um, going after kids. We're not a culture that does things for children. We do things to children more and more. So when is, is fluid. You may not have known that. Two, uh, we're, we are certain parts of our country. Two isn't that important. Two can be three. That's already, we're already moving that way, right? Uh, people. Well, we now already know, right? We can define people and people can define themselves as anything they want. Okay. So when two people love and now what is love? Well, now, we, you know, we've all been put on our heels on that, right? That's just, it's commitment, right? Or love is love. Don't you love it when people use the exact same word to define the thing? <laughs> Can you imagine if Paul would have said that in First Corinthians, right? Love is love. Love is this. Love does not love, right? Like, right. But you'll hear that in culture. And then we all, we all clap like a couple of seals, right? At the zoo. And we just nod because it, it sounds good. But that's just it. It goes back to my earlier point. Of course, it sounds good. It's supposed to sound good. If someone started out going, hey, just a heads up, everything I'm about to say is deception, decide to, you know, designed to destroy your culture, your way of life, the whole foundation of you know, how you all exist as followers of Jesus, let alone your families, your nature, you know, your world. Uh, well, who would listen to it, right? The reason it works is you set it up to where it sounds true and it sounds true enough that you'll take a bite. And once you take that bite, and once you move down, you start to realize, wow, this only leads to death. Sound familiar, right? And once you take the bite into the deception, you do start to see things like God, which is, wow, this is where this was headed all along. So that's that's how this works. So you just redefine love, right? So love, love in here isn't a isn't a feeling. It's not. You know, Jesus in the garden. Father, if, if it be your will, take this from me. Take this cup from me. What's the cup? Cup of wrath. And, and Luke says he's actually sweating blood. So what is love in that moment? Love is a decision. Ouch. Right? The disciples are asleep. So he's not like, ah, you know, I don't know that I'm supposed to go die on the cross. Uh, I just don't have that special feeling in my heart. Right? I don't have that tingly feeling anymore. This is boring. You know, that's, that's not what happens. Right? He's not going, you know what, disciples, <sighs> Tom Cruise was right. You just don't complete me. I, I think I'm going to back out of this deal. I don't know that it's real love. He doesn't do that. So love is defined, and sometimes love is a choice, okay? And be weary of and aware of unseemingly uncompromising statements that seek to redefine what God has already defined and not so that you can tolerate those alternative definitions, but so that those alternative definitions can become the new norm, the new law. They're not meant to coexist along with what God's word says. They're meant to replace 
what God's word says. You dig? That's what's happening. So be aware of that. And when you're like, well, you know, you know, logically, uh, you know, I was just thinking, you know, like, and you start to find out like, wow, no one's listening and no one cares about your logic. Then you know where it's coming from, right? It's evil. And you call it what it is. And you know what? Maybe your phone's not going to ring as much on Friday night because people think you're a little bit of a whack job. Well, join the club and get in line behind Jesus, Paul, Peter, the disciples, the early church. It's it's rough out there. Okay. So that's what that's the whole that's the whole game. Okay. So the reason I made the video was then going after this second thought. It's so crazy. The disciple, the uh, Pharisees are always trying to, they're always trying to, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees, they're always trying to trap Jesus. They're very legalistic, narcissistic, holier than thou. They have the respect of the community. And the one thing they have going for them, I have to get, I have to give it up. Sometimes it's, it's mis, well, it's not sometimes it pretty much all the time is misplaced uh, desire to, to please God, but it's all via the law, rituals, out, outright behaviors. So they look like they're killing it. So from the, the aspect of just human will and discipline on some levels, not all of them, but in some cases you go, wow, you know, it seems like a pretty, pretty devout guy, right? Until Jesus would blow them up for the, the whitewashed tomb that is their hearts. So here it is. Things pick up here in Matthew chapter 22, and he's having this interesting discussion uh, about the greatest commandment. And then I want to introduce to you how Satan flips this and why you should be really aware and acutely aware of the plans and the schemes of what Satan is up to. One is redefining love. Go back to what I read. I mean, it's just straight up, you know, straight up biblical. Compare that definition to what you hear, right? First Corinthians 13, four and following. And ask yourself if the culture is championing that same idea of love, okay? Big on that, okay? So here it is. Here's the greatest commandment. Here's the discussion, all right? Check it out. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, who is the greatest, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the first thing that Jesus did was cool. Because they went from 10 commandments, which are really in the Hebrew, 10 instructions, which is, hey, I want to help you because I have a relationship with you. I'm a God of relationship. I'm trying to get you to no longer think like a slave, act like a slave, relate to the world like a slave, think that your value is nothing more than a slave. Okay. The context is the children of Israel. And so I'm going to give you this new promise, this new name, this new identity, this new worth, this new value, and you're going to interact with the world differently. You're going to look different than the rest of the world, and you're going to process the world and have a different lens that's different, and you're going to live for something different than everyone else around you, okay? And so then he gives these 10 instructions. Not a bad idea, okay? And if you go to public school, like I get it, okay, you want to keep God out of it. I don't agree with that, but you know, because I feel like basically there's enough social agendas in our world right now that are operating like religions. Really? I mean, they have faith statements. I, I can dig into that deeper in another podcast. Um, it's all there like a religion. There's outreach, missions, 
Um, you know, a certain level of indoctrination. I digress. So, you know, just what's wrong with the first not, you know, first nine commandments. All right. Two through 10 are stellar. Right. Um, it's a good idea not to kill people. Last I heard. Right. It's a good idea not to steal and take other people's stuff. So really logical stuff. That's the, the 10 instructions that grew into like 613 laws, rituals, traditions, some of it oral, some of it written down. And it just got nuts. And people are exhausted. People are exhausted by walking this bizarre line of pleasing a God that just seems to, from their view, only wanting to just jump through this endless number of, of hoops and holes to somehow please him. And so then Jesus goes 10 to 613 and he's like, hey, I'm going to go from 10 to 613 down to two. All right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the problem. <laughs> the problem is, is that Jesus's take on everything is way easier to understand. It is. I mean, two is easier than 10. Two is definitely easier than 613. Okay. The problem with Jesus <laughs> is he introduces motive. So the two is easier to understand. It's infinitely harder to actually pull off. It's a lot easier for me to be like, did you violate the Sabbath or not? Did you drag that chair from here to here? That's work, buddy, right? Did you eat that olive after sunset? Ew, you know, I know if you ate the olive or you didn't. I can, I can almost kind of track that. I can't track truly if you love someone. You can say it, right? I mean, you can hold a gun to my head and tell me to love somebody. I can say it. Just because I said it doesn't mean my heart is anywhere in that. You put a gun to my head. What do you expect? Right? So he introduces motive. And he starts connecting motive to being as, as extreme as violating the law that they held so dear in the first place, which is mind-blowing. Right? So you always adopted, don't kill that guy, your neighbor next door. I tell you what, if you have hatred in your heart, you killed him. Wait, what? Right? You know, you've heard like, like, don't go sleep with your, your, your neighbor's wife, dude. Right? But I tell you, if you even just look at a woman lustfully, like, you know, so all of a sudden every guy in there is going, wow, how many times have I committed adultery? You know, and that's what that's what's happening. So he makes it infinitely harder. So what what is he doing? What's he doing? He's saying, hey, you want to resolve the new problem I've given you. You're welcome. And you want to send under the full weight of what it means to even touch the righteousness of God. It's not just what you do. It's the motives of your heart when you do it. So sometimes you look awesome and you look humble, but you're really not. Right. So then what he does is then he draws people to himself. You want to resolve the disparity between my infinite level of righteousness and perfection and where you actually are beyond even your, your motives and what you do, but even down to, you know, what makes you do the things that you do. You're only going to resolve that in Jesus. See, he's, he's really just creating a situation where they have to come to him. That's what he wants. Why? Because he wants to be with everybody and party up in heaven for all eternity because he loves us, plain and simple. So there it is. He gives the two commandments. Now, what does Satan do? What Satan does is he comes along and he makes the two, the one, and the one, the two. Right? Instead of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, 
What culture does to you is it starts with love your neighbor as yourself. Doesn't scripture say to love? Doesn't scripture say to love your neighbor? Right? It makes that the highest calling. And then what your culture does and what Satan and demonic forces do, and in our own sinful nature, it appeals to us, is then culture, the sleight of hand is they redefine for you your neighbor. And then they redefine for you how you treat your neighbor and who's worthy to be your neighbor and who we no longer mention as your neighbor, you see? And so once we have established that now loving your neighbor is greater than or or really to the omission of loving the Lord your God, it is from being right with God that I understand what love is, what I understand what marriage is, what I understand what family is, what I understand what my neighbor is and how to treat my neighbor. I understand how to treat uh, my enemy. I, I get everything, all my marching orders from him, right? And then that informs how I look at everything around me as a neighbor and treating my neighbor. The problem with culture omitting the first and or flipping the two to the one, in other words, making the first and the primary loving your neighbor, is once they've redefined all of that for you, it will fall conveniently in all of your existing uh, like comfort and uh, your, you know, what you think you already thought. It'll only affirm what you already thought. It will only further implant you in kind of your preferences. And what by the time that the two has become the one and allowing your culture and yourself to define your neighbor and what it means to love your neighbor and what all that looks like, by the time it's all said and done, you're no longer loving the people around you the way that Jesus would have told you. You're no longer interacting with the world. In fact, by the time you get to the one, the God that you're worshiping isn't even the God of the Bible anymore. The God that you're worshiping at that point looks more like you than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who through the lineage of time would come down to this earth and we would come to know his son as Jesus Christ. So that's the score. That's the deception is to flip the two to the one and the one to the two. And when you've done that, the whole goal is to move you away from getting your marching orders from the one true God and your life looking like Jesus and defining your neighbor, your enemy, your behavior, your life, your thought life first in the person of Jesus Christ, but rather to get you to look more like culture, keep score like culture, live like culture, and then just attach a version of Jesus that vaguely resembles you and your preferences so you never have to be uncomfortable, so you never have to be challenged or stressed. That's how this works. So there's the deception. All right, keep the one, the one, the two, the two. Don't flip the script. You know what love is. Start with God. First commandment, keep it first. Second commandment, keep it second. And trust God with this world. He's got it. He's got your life in the very palm of his hand. Love you guys. I want to be able to 
just pray with you here momentarily before uh, I let you go. And uh, I hope you have an absolute stellar week. Heavenly Father, I just thank and praise you for your love, your kindness, your grace, and your mercy. We just ask Jesus that you would help us uh, keep the one firmly in the front and let the two be the two and not flip them, not let culture move us down that path of redefining our neighbor, omitting others from being our neighbors. We all have blind spots. All of us have blind spots. And culture loves for us to pick and choose, loves to divide us, to pit us against one another. But the truth of the matter is when we love others, it's everyone. And that becomes extremely complicated. Every person hearing my voice has people right now culturally that they don't like or they have a grudge against or they have issues with. For some of us, it it could look like any number of things within our culture. It could be our literal neighbor. It could be any of the issues that are hitting us. Lord, I just ask that by the power of your spirit, you convict us to see who that might be, who it is that we just write in assumptions or we write off or we automatically put in the those people category. We all have them. Expose that to us. And by you being the first and the primary who gives us our definitions, our marching orders, and goes before us, fights our battles, lives with us, and desires for us to make you known to the entire earth. Lord, plant that firmly in our hearts and help us to live out the grace that you've given us first, the forgiveness you've first given us. Thank you for your death and your resurrection, the beautiful gift of heaven that we have in you. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. See ya. Bye.